Well, welcome to Framework Leadership, a podcast about principles and ideas you can use today to take your leadership to the next level. And of course, this is exclusively now part of the SEU Podcast Network. I'm your host, Kent Engel, president of Southeastern University. Excited to introduce our new co-host for today's show, Nona Jones. Nona is a renowned speaker, business executive, media personality, ministry leader, uh, currently serves as head of the faith-based partnerships at Facebook. Nona, it is a privilege to have you on the podcast today. Oh, the privilege is mine. Thank you for having me. Hey, you know, today on today's episode, so I want to talk about your incredible rise to success and the lessons that uh, you've learned along the way as a leader. You're, I mean, you're paving the way for, uh, I mean, connections between the kingdom of God and the and the corporate world in a pretty profound way, and and you're making such an impact. But I, I know you've had. Um, your fair share of adversity. Uh, and as a young child, you were a, a victim of abuse. Uh, now you're a survivor. Uh, talk to us about how this adversity has shaped you as an individual and and how it informs the way you do life today. Oh, man, that's that's really a great question. Yeah, I think... I think that particular type of trauma, um, as a child being subjected to, you know, basically the abusive whims of my mother's boyfriend, mm. um, I think it made me aware of just how vulnerable um, I was. And I think what it did, and this is kind of on the, I guess, the negative side of my leadership journey, is it made me um, pretty insecure mm. at first. Um, I became a people pleaser. I think it really made me want to, you know, make everybody happy. And, you know, anyone who's been in leadership for a long enough time knows that that's never a good situation, sure, right? Yeah, and right. so I think early in my uh, leadership journey, I had a number of instances where um, <laughs> I'm laughing now, it was not funny then, um, I would present you know, an idea or a strategy. And as other leaders should, they began to critique it. Mm. And I would take it really personally, like really personally. I would put up a good face in front of everybody. But as they were critiquing what I was sharing, all I could hear is the voice of my mother and her boyfriend in, in my head saying, oh, see, you're not worthy. See, wow. nobody uh, nobody yeah. likes what you had to say. And I think what I had to, to kind of get over, and this is where the, the faith side of the walk comes into play, is I had to get over the the recognition that, oh, well, just because they said I didn't have value, that I, in fact, did not have value. That was, I think, a, a foundational uh, insight for me as a leader, is I cannot lead anyone else from a place of deficiency. Um, I cannot lead anyone else when I cannot take criticism because I feel like it's somehow an sure. indictment on my yeah. worth. So that, that was really important. And, and when you think about adversity and, and especially what you have faced, what did your process of overcoming look like? What kind of framing did you build to help you through that? Yeah, I had to I had to go to a lot of psychological, uh, go through a lot of psychological awareness, mm. um, which for me now, what that means is when I start to um, feel like I'm being threatened in one way or another, if I'm starting to feel like someone is coming at me, um, I will check myself. You know, I will sure. say, wait a minute, what is this that's happening within me? Something yeah. is disturbed within me. And I think uh, that adversity really gave me the opportunity to confront those parts of me that um, probably would not make for the best leader today. And so my process really looks like, okay, um, when someone would say something that I thought was was personally attacking me, I would first ask myself, okay, um, what is the intent of what they're saying? Are they saying this because they in fact do not like me or they feel there's something wrong with me? Or are they saying this because they want me to get better? Mm, because they, they want the, the product to be better. And when I learned to separate my worth and my value and my identity from the critique, I think that's when I became a much better leader because sure. now it was no longer about me. 
it was about the the work product. Yeah, yeah, and 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 I love I love this this uh, idea, but uh, of how you you value you know and, and kind of look at what's behind yeah. you know what they're saying. What does it mean for leaders to to evaluate the voices of the past? Mm. First of all, that's hard, um, and it's hard because I think if we're not intentional about it we will assume that the way we see the world is just because that's the way it is. Mm. I think we have to be intentional about asking ourselves, why do I perceive this situation the way I perceive it? Where did that even come from? Um, And being willing to say, you know what, the past absolutely influences the present and influences uh, the way that I see the world. I had a a kind of a visual metaphor that I talk about in my book, um, Success from the Inside Out, which is when you've experienced trauma, it's almost like wearing um, orange tinted lenses on your glasses, Mm. Uh, what that does is it makes everything around you have an orange tint, even when it doesn't in reality. Sure. So having that awareness, I think, is the first step to being able to change it. Yeah. What would be, uh, what are, uh, you know, a couple of questions leaders can ask themselves to discover and identify um, influences from their past? Mm. You know, one of the things that I, I think has been really helpful is where did that come from? Mm. So just asking that question, Question, because a lot of times we truly think, oh, it came from me. It came from this situation, right? right? So I'll I'll give you an example. I had a a work conflict with a colleague who, to me, was coming over very abrasive. And I was feeling really just kind of intimidated by it, because I was like, I better not say anything, because they're going to be very argumentative. And it dawned on me that I was operating from a fear standpoint. And it was like, where did that fear come from? That fear was placed there somehow. Somehow, It wasn't just what the colleague did or what they said, but there was something there beforehand that what they did and said triggered what it activated. So asking where did that come from? And then the second thing that I think we have to ask ourselves is, uh, am I comfortable with how I'm showing up? Do do I like the way that I'm showing up? Because if we don't ask ourselves that question, we'll just be on autopilot. So if we don't like the way we're showing up, we have the power to change it. Yeah, I like that. Wow. Nona, you currently, uh, or you eventually ended up at at the University of Florida, Mm -hmm. where you completed your bachelor's uh, degree in communications, as well as your MBA. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, Following graduation, you found yourself uh, as an executive in a Fortune uh, company, uh, uh, a 100 company at the age of, what was it, 23? Yeah, 23. Wow. Wow. Talk to us about how you landed that executive you know, position in that role at that age. Oh, man. Yeah, that was interesting. Um, so uh, I you know, graduated from college around 21 years old, and I went into corporate America. And I was doing kind of like a mid-level management job, um, nothing like super exciting. But uh, I happened to be on the job boards one day in our company, and I was just kind of looking through the jobs, which I would do periodically just to see what was out there. And I saw this role that literally, it looked like exactly what I would want to do with my life. Uh. But I saw the requirements were 10 years of experience. It said 10 years of progressively um, increasing management experience. And I was like, I don't have that. that, But I knew I could do the job. And so what I did was uh, I put together this portfolio. Mind you, I didn't know anything about like strategy or any of that. I put together a portfolio of just ideas. Like what would I do if I got the job? And I put them all in like a, a portfolio document and I set it on the chair of the hiring vice president after hours. (laughs) And I put him on his chair and I just like walked away. The very next day, the director of human resources came to me, like called me and I thought I was in trouble. Like I thought they were about to fire me. And he called me when I saw his name on my phone. I was like, oh, this isn't good. But he said, hey, Jeff, which was the, the man's name, he said, Jeff wants to meet with you. 
And then I was like, oh, I'm really getting fired. <laughs> so <laughs> I went to meet with him and he told me that in his many years of, of leading at the company, no one had ever done that before. And so uh, we just talked. I didn't yeah. even know it was an interview. We just talked. And after we talked, they put me through about three other interviews uh, and they hired me. Wow. What, I mean, what gave you the courage to just step up and do that? Oh, man. You know what? I just, I really wanted, I wanted to do it. Like, I knew I could do a good job, um, but I also knew that the application would in no way showcase uh, what I had done in college. It would in no way showcase my ideas and my vision. And so I was like, I'm going to just do something different. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's what I did. And and as you look back, stepping into that role uh, that uh, outsized anything you had done before, what did you learn about your leadership in that season? <laughs> well, first of all, I learned that I was way too young to be in a leadership <laughs> because I remember um, our first meeting, we're sitting around the board table and you know they're handing out all the reports and the yeah. P&Ls and all this stuff. I didn't know what any of that stuff was. This was two years before my MBA. I didn't know what any of that was. And uh, I remember uh, I went to a woman after the meeting and I said, can I talk to you? And I said, look, I, I don't know what's going on. I was yeah, like, can you please yeah. help me? And she did the most important thing that I think a leader could do. She did not give me the so-called answers. Like she didn't tell me what the reports were. She gave me five books to read. Wow. She said, I want you to go to Barnes and Nobles and I want you to read these five books and then come back and let's talk about them. Huh. And I did that. Wow. And because she did that, I am a now I'm a lifelong learner. I mean, I read a book a week because yeah. of that woman. That's been like 15 years wow. since then. Um, but yeah, I learned that I was not ready. And yet there were resources available to me to help me learn sure. in that moment. Wow. You know, we hear stories like this um, a, a lot about young people stepping up and expanding their capacity and mm-hmm. in a variety of ways. How can leaders have that have tons of experience also stretch themselves to do something new and not get stuck in just the way they've always done it? Mm. Well, I think you have to have um, a heart posture of humility, first mm. of all, as a leader, to recognize that it doesn't matter how many years you've been doing something, you know, you, you don't know it all. Right, um, right. Because things are constantly evolving and they're right. constantly changing, changing right? Mm-hmm. And so I think it starts there. And I think it also starts with just being willing uh, to admit that. It's like, you know what? I don't know everything. Let me see if I can learn from somebody who knows more than me. Um, but having having that that posture of constantly learning, um, and then being willing to expose yourself to new ways of thinking. You know, as as uh, someone who works in the business sector, I read all types of books. As a matter of fact, there's a book that I'm about to read. It's called Something uh, Deeply Hidden. Hmm. Um, it has nothing to do with business or leadership. Um, it's actually about quantum physics. Wow. Why am I reading this book? Because I don't know anything Either about that. It's yeah, <laughs> right? right, so yeah, I'm just like, yeah. let me just read just this. Learn- a little bit here. Yeah. And so I think that's that's what makes life really interesting. And that's what makes yeah. leadership interesting. That's good. Now, you, you eventually asked to join Facebook where you are utilizing both uh, your ministry mm-hmm. leadership and business strategies to faith-based uh, partnerships throughout the world. And you're teaching um, church leaders that they should shift their approach from mm-hmm. social media to, and I like how you, social ministry. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us what you mean by social ministry. Yeah. Well... I think a lot of times when we think about social media, what we immediately think about as organizational leaders is marketing. Right. Like, right. how do we reach more people? Natural, yeah. yeah. How do we make people more aware of our products and services, et cetera? Um, the social ministry mindset is more about how do we help people build relationships, not just with our organization, but with each other? Hmm. Um, you know, when you when you think about what ministry is, it, it isn't just about, you know, going into a building and sitting and listening to someone teach. It's about maturing in 
in your faith in community with other people. That's what discipleship is. Right. And so the the whole premise of social ministry is using social technology as a lever to facilitate relationships between and among people so they can grow in their faith. Sure. Yeah. yeah. What would you say to someone who who feels that digital relationships are not as authentic mm-hmm. as as in person because I hear that a lot oh, too. Yeah. You know, as in person relationships. Yeah, I, I laugh when people say that because I think to myself, you do realize those are real people, right? right? Exactly. <laughs> so whether whether it's a, a person that you're looking eyeball to eyeball at, or if it's a person that you know you're just communicating with through through a screen, it's a real person, right, and so right. you have to have that level of understanding. So yes, digital relationships are just as authentic as offline. Sometimes even more so because I've noticed that people people tend to not have a filter <laughs> when, yeah, they're yeah, when they're online. Yeah, right. so you learn they a lot just, more about them. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Where do you think the church is heading in in regards to using social media uh, to to really create a social ministry mm. culture and environment? Yeah, I think there's there's two paths that the church is heading down. One of which I'm excited about. One of which I'm worried about. The the one I'm worried about is really uh, kind of a reflection of what happened after September 11th. Mm. So after September 11th, um, attendance in local churches just went through the roof. I mean, people were looking for hope. They were looking for inspiration. They just wanted to come together with communities. But what happened was um, local churches just kind of just continued doing the same thing the same way. And so it was kind of like trying to put new wine in an old skin. They didn't adapt. And so not too long after that, attendance declined pretty rapidly. Um, What I'm excited about, though, in this regard is I think everyone was forced to see what the power of social technology could be. Whereas, you know, for for three years, I was going around the world trying to tell people about it. Now they've actually seen it. Um, So I hope that people will continue to lean into that, not again, for just raising awareness about their programs and events, but for discipling people right where they are online. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, And in your opinion, what are the maybe two, three key aspects of a good social ministry? If a church leader is listening to this podcast, what do they need to do right now to begin to kind of take the ministry the next level in that in that area. Yeah, well, one key thing is you've got to have leadership. And by leadership, I mean it in two dimensions. One, um, as a church leader, you really have to be the one who is declaring the importance right. of it. It cannot just be something that the social media team or the communication right. team is saying we need to do. You as the leader have to be the one saying this is what we need to do. But I also mean leadership in the sense that you need to have leadership of that online space. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, I tell people, if you wouldn't launch a physical location with no leader, you shouldn't have an right. online location yeah, with no exactly. leader either. Or a social media manager leading right. your online church. Because remember, the people are real. Yeah, like they're yeah. they're as authentic as they would be in person. So unless your social media manager would be the person you'd put over a physical campus, you need to think differently. So I think leadership matters. Um, and then I think you need to be willing to experiment. What I hear oftentimes from people is, well, what works? What do I need to do that works? Yeah. And it depends on the culture of your church. It depends on the rhythm of how you do ministry, but be willing to experiment, try things and see what sticks. Yeah, yeah. Now, you, you've been recognized by Essence Magazine as an under 40 woman to watch. Uh, Florida Trend Magazine here, here in Florida has named you as one of Florida's 30-something all-stars. What does it mean to be recognized as, a, as an influencer mm, in many ways? Man, it just means 
like responsibility, yeah. you know, I, I just think, you know, there are people watching you. Um, and so I'm just, I'm very careful about what I say and how I say it. Um, because I mean, fundamentally, even more than being a business leader, I am first, I, I'm a Christian, I'm a child of God. And so I'm very sensitive to how I represent Jesus in all the spaces that I'm in, yeah. whether it's at Facebook, whether it's on social media. Um, and so for me, being an influencer is frankly, um, living up to the expectations that the Lord has of me. Yeah. Um, I want people to feel like they've grown as a result of what I've shared or what yeah. I've done and not feel like they've gone backwards. Yeah. No, that's, that, that is so good. <laughs> well, it's, uh, this has been a great conversation and, uh, and I, I, so much more I'd love to talk about, but uh, we're going to move into a quick fire round and, oh and wrap this up. So I'm going to ask you a few questions surrounding a little bit of, of some of the stuff we've discussed and, and okay. just just answer from your gut. What what just comes right right oh, natural? Uh, these are going to be very, <laughs> these are going to be practical and applicable okay. to the lives of our listeners. So let's begin. First one, what would be that first step in overcoming anxiety? Mm, acknowledgement. Acknowledgement. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Second one, how do you remain disciplined with a full schedule like you live? Mm, uh, I schedule everything on my calendar, yeah. every single thing. Um, if you look at my calendar right now, you'll see prayer time, devotional time, you'll see fitness, you'll see uh, everything. Yeah. <laughs> Eating, you'll see it all on my calendar. That's how. Yeah. Time management. Yeah. What do you think is the, the most important leadership trait we need to have as leaders? Mm, man, there's so many. <laughs> yeah. um, but I think humility sums it all up, yeah. um, which is... The ability to be content with the lane that God has given you and not not comparing what you're doing to what somebody else is doing, not seeing them as your competition, but just recognizing that the lane you're in is good enough. I love that. And, and, you know, here at Southeastern, I mean, we always talk about this a lot. You are divinely designed to be a solution to something. Mm -hmm. Recognize that solution. Run in that lane. I love it. And that is so, yeah, that is so good. Um, two more. How do you utilize the power of collaboration? Mm, man. Well, I think that requires, again, humility because yeah. you don't have all the answers. The answer's right. Um, but I think it's it's bringing the right people to the problem yeah. and being willing to allow their gifts to flourish. Yeah. Good. All right. One one more here that I think uh, is is uh, going to be good for our listeners. What is the next? What's next for social media? Do you think? Mm, I think virtual reality is actually um, wow. picking up a lot of steam. There have been some ministries that have started to dip their toes in the virtual space, wow. uh, which is actually predominated by um, atheists. And so, you know, people who would never step foot into a building, um, now there are churches in the spaces where they are, wow. um, and they've been attending church in virtual reality. Wow. Yeah. That sounds fascinating. That Yeah, that's going to be exciting. Well, Nona, I want to thank you for joining us today on Framework Leadership. It's it's always a privilege to have a conversation with you and just see how God's using you and opening up doors to to influence in so many ways. I'm grateful for the insight you've provided our, our listeners today. So thank you for that. Thank you. Uh, and if you want to stay up to date with Nona, you can follow her on Instagram. Uh, Nona, what is it? At Nona, not Nora. Nona, not Nora. Okay, I want to make sure. <laughs> That was not a mistake. I was looking at it and I go, wait a minute. That, that, is that right? Yeah, that's right. And, uh, okay. And, and then visit our website at nonajones.com. That's all we have for today's episode. For more leadership, you can check us on Instagram at Kent underscore Ingle or at uh, Kent Ingle. You can also visit the website. Uh, thanks for listening today and hope you have a great week.